Preeti Chibber. And I'm Jen Northington, and this is Tar Valen or Bust, a Wheel of Time podcast. Nobody tells us how to be men. We just are. That, Egwene said, is probably why you make such a bad job of it. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines from the chapters that we read today. <laughs> Uh, so so today we are coming to you with chapters 21 to 30 of the eye of the world um but we do still have some pre-discussion notes yes indeed always i always have pre-discussion i love it Uh, (laughs) so so i was re-listening to an episode for i can't remember what reason um and i heard myself doing a lot of gender essentialism of my own around teenage boys so I just want to like note to self it's just teenagers like teenagers collectively truth are ridiculous and bad at logic and like rational thought like their brains aren't cooked yet their brains aren't ready yet (laughs) their brains Um, aren't cooked yet they're like half-baked uh so I will be watching myself for that in the future apologies um also, also, I'm not going to apologize for this. I ordered maybe the most nerdy thing <gasps> I've ever ordered in my entire life from Loyalty Books. Shout out to Loyalty Books, an amazing store you can order from online. And it came in the mail, and it is The Wheel of Time Companion, The People, Places, and History of the Best-Selling Series by Robert Jordan, Harriet McDougall, Alan Romanchuk, and Maria Simons. And I'm going to be insufferable. Oh, my God. I'm so excited because you can answer all of the questions that I am I, 100% not going to look up the answer to. I know. I will be able to look up all of the random details in the background and just like whatever. Whatever. I'll be able to look it all up. It's extremely exciting. Uh, also exciting. Today is Wednesday, December 2nd, which this episode will go up next week. But the Wheel of Time... Twitter account for the for the television show like on Tuesday was like Wednesday is coming and we're like what does that mean and it turns out it was not a trailer so uh-uh. but it was the reveal of the heron marked blade so exciting I got chills I mean part of that was they did a really good job on the video like it was a very nicely produced slash soundtracked little 30 second (laughs) video of like concept to execution to seeing it on set um yeah I I got chills I, I know people are surprised by it being sort of, I guess, I, I don't know a lot about swords, but <laughs> <laughs> caveat here. But, this but, goes well. <laughs> but the responses to um, the video, some people were, were surprised that it was, I guess, more katana-like, like more, yeah. like not, not what they were expecting, uh, which I think is kind of funny because we do tend to have a lot of assumptions that we make about what will be represented in this sort of fantasy series and and a lot of it is often anglo or european based and so i just i thought it was interesting because like same i also did not expect it of course i don't i don't know i probably just pictured a sword i could not tell you where (laughs) that sword is from (laughs) well it's interesting i I mean, it's in the description that the blade is curved, uh, mm-hmm. and 
I don't, am I a sword nerd? And I just didn't know it. Are I you? Because I'm even, good. <laughs> yeah. It didn't even strike me as weird. Like I looked at it and I was like, yep, that looks like what I had in mind. Um, I don't, I don't know. That's so interesting. Now I'm going to have to be thinking about this uh, because there is a lot of weapons chatter, shall we say, in these books. Like every, I mean, every object in these books is described to within an inch of its yes. life, uh, <laughs> which is very <laughs> useful if you're a showrunner, I think, and a costuming and like props department. Um, but I think most people just tend to skim that stuff, right? Like you don't actually read every word of those descriptions. Definitely not. <laughs> no, there's no way. So it's funny to me, like what yeah, because so often, right, how our assumptions are play into that. And then some things we get right. And I'm sure it's like almost by accident that I am not surprised about that sword <laughs> um, rather than any actual attention to detail on my part. Uh, but I am I actually am a little bit of a sword nerd. I just I remember recently reading an interview with a bunch of authors that I think was on tour.com. I'll see if I can find it for, for my other sword nerds out there. Uh, that was all about writing about swords and like sword play in books. It was super interesting. And and a lot of the people, the authors that were being interviewed have like trained with swords in various ways. It was super fun. No, that's really cool. Cause now I'm thinking about like, we, we joke about all the like sword moves that have to be learned yes! in, oh in the gosh. series. And the closest thing I can compare it to is a series we've spoken about before, which is the Cushiel's Dart series, which also has like pretty intensive, like sword moves that people have to learn. And they don't, mean anything to me at all like I can't I have trouble even like kind of when they're described like picturing what that move would look like correctly yeah yeah and it's it's kind of it's it's gonna be really interesting to see how this stuff shows up on screen I didn't even I'm so excited now I didn't even think about how they were gonna do the action sequences and all of the sword work like I it didn't even occur to me to think about that but now I am really hopeful that they'll get like a good swords master in there yes. to train the actors and do like legit, like kind of like, you know how that scene in the princess bride is like iconic yes. for actually using real fencing moves. Um, yeah. Well now I, this is like a, a whole new area of excitement for me. <laughs> <laughs> More to come on that front. I am sure. Uh, yeah. I think, I think that's all we have for pre pre discussion notes. Yes. 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 In that case, we can just get into into what is an immensely eventful series of chapters. Oh my god. Like so much shit is revealed. Like all of the reveals. Like everything happens in this I, 10 chapters and I I was thinking like reading and and you know we read ahead and so I, we are trying to be very conscious about keeping the discussion to the chapters that we read, but I will say more happens in this book than I remembered. Like everything that I remember happening, I was like, that must have happened like four books from now. Like, nope, it happens in the eye of the world. <laughs> like, in the first 30 chapter. Like it's wild. So, you know, we start our our band of adventures, reluctant and excited, uh, have been completely separated. And so we kick off with, uh, an Inave chapter, which I'm very excited about. So we get, you know, like 20 full chapters of Rand minus, <laughs> minus a few pages from Perrin's perspective, which I knew, I knew happened. You are vindicated. <laughs> vindicated. Um, 
And but we we kick off with Nanave and I I really love this chapter a lot. Like I love her so much. I thought you were annoyed with her. I was, but only in Berlon. Oh, okay. Okay, fair enough. Well, good. I also love her. I love her so much. I love how cranky she is about everything. Um, I love how awkward this, like, weird threesome is that they yes. have to coexist in. Like, <laughs> the dynamics of her and Moiraine and Lan, like, it's camping amazing. together. <laughs> like, Lan, Lan turning into this, like, like, I love everything about it. I love the OTP-ness of it because yeah. I, <laughs> I love how quickly it's, like, clearly both of them are being impacted by each other, but their flirtation is this, like, weird one-upmanship sort of thing that happens. But, like, Nanave, you know, from the get-go, now that we're seeing it from her perspective, which I think is very important, is, like, mm, she's super mm. hard on herself. She's, like, clearly has always had a lot to prove to people, and so you finally get to get a sense of why she is the way she is. <laughs> Um, she also has wonderful curses. Like the book is just <laughs> full of excellent phrasing. <laughs> the it's one so that good. made me that is like when she goes, "The shepherd of the night swallow her up." I'm like, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we get the reveal that she can channel, which yes. is such a big deal. She's like, unlike a queen who's like, "Great, I'm gonna light me some fires." Like Benev is like, I refuse this is unacceptable i would never i would never i would wish. never <laughs> never she's so but she's it's so, so offended she's mortally offended she's so offended i do love that whole sequence of like one the moment moiraine realizes that nanave has been listening is so great <laughs> like she's like fuck <laughs> like <laughs> essentially right um yeah. but then the conversation where nanave has clearly or uh, moiraine is like let me tell you about your past. Let me tell you why I'm right. Let me tell you all of the things that I know you have experienced. And just Nene's like growing like, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no. It's so good. <laughs> it's some real talk. It's some real talk. I, yeah, I love everything about those sections. I I do also love how, and this is getting a little bit ahead in the arc, but like, She's constantly trying to figure out, like, why Moiraine is behaving the way she is. Like, why mm -hmm. she's going after certain boys and not, like, the other pair and, like, this and that. And, you know, it's just really... I think it's a little refreshing after the boys' sort of cluelessness about it um, and, like, fear of Moiraine to see... Somebody actually, like, interacting with her. And obviously, you know, Nynaeve is not right about a lot of things. Yeah. But <laughs> she's trying to figure it out. And she... she's asking questions. And she's, like, she's asserting herself in a way that I find very endearing. Even if it is, like, perhaps misguided. <laughs> I, I agree. But I also get very frustrated because, you know, being in her head, we do see kind of the genesis of why she reacts this way but yeah. she also it's the same problem I had last time is that she doesn't listen like it doesn't she's yeah. asking these questions but she's right. not internalizing anything Moiraine says she just it just butts up against her preconceived notions right yeah. like that's kind of what happens and so you have Nenave who on one side is asking all these questions and is trying to to figure out what's going on but she she can't 
get out of her own way because if it doesn't fit within her worldview, it's not worth considering as an actuality. Yeah. You know, and that's very frustrating to watch. And the other side of what's a little (laughs) frustrating is, but in a good way, like I don't mean this in a bad way, is like see. The way she, like, doesn't recognize how Lan is interacting with her. Like, there's that moment where Lan offers her a hand to, like, get up and she doesn't notice. And you're like, oh, Lan, buddy. This is an uphill battle. (laughs) Because even Lan is, like, regretting. Like, he's, like, so reluctant about it. But he still also is like, but no, there's something there. (laughs) It's great. Their dynamics are so great. I I agree. It is frustrating to watch her, like, refuse to see what's in front of her face uh, pretty regularly. But I also, I just love her for it in a a weird sort of way. (laughs) Totally. No, I agree with you. Um, The other thing that happens in this chapter is kind of we get a really bleak revelation from Moiraine of what the one power can do to to women. Mm. You know, there's that, that... where she's talking to Nenev about why Nenev should should come to Tarvalin and be trained in the power and how it's far more likely that she would not survive past like five years at most because yeah. of this thing that was like born inside of her. Like I, I just found it like very like there's definitely a conversation that Jordan is starting there about innate power and the necessity of training that I will be interested to like see the through line as we continue this reread. Yeah, because there's so much of that and so much that butts up against that idea. Yeah. You know, I hadn't thought of it this way before, but it just struck me as you were pointing that out that it's like a little bit Star Wars, right? Mm -hmm. It's a little bit like, Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, like Jedi training because it can go very badly Mm -hmm. if you don't, if you don't get the right guidance. Yeah, it can. and, And the necessity of like, pushing up against that training right Mm. and like again like that's something I don't totally remember how it goes I'm looking forward to seeing how it goes but I do think that that's gonna play like a really big part yeah yeah for sure so we get that and then we get Perrin and Aguin meeting Elias ah yes I I was like this is Jen's time to shine it's my it's my moment and we get the wolves and we meet Hopper and all of that pack and I just have so many feelings I mean okay so I think we both love a werewolf story yes We have, like, the receipts from our time at Teen Wolf Con to prove it. <laughs> Literal receipts. Um, <laughs> that's a real thing that happened. Uh, and 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 obviously this is not, like, a turn-into-a-wolf-werewolf situation. No. But I love this version of it. And I insist that it is, like, on the werewolf spectrum, personally. Um, especially because, you know, there's, I think, hints that, like, you know, especially, again, skipping forward a little bit in the fight that Perrin gets into in which he is communicating with the wolves um, sort of against his will, but he's, like, feeling what they're feeling. He gets so caught up in it that, like, he kind of can't separate himself from what he's seeing through the wolf perspective. And I I just freaking love it. I think it's so interesting. I love the concept. I love everything about it. It's great. 
it's very cool like this this lore and the notion of one what feels like it's like a very specific level of partnership you know the that's another like theme that runs through Jordan's work and through the series is this notion of the necessity of pairing together and being better when you have that bond with someone than when you're isolated right and so Perrin and the wolves is you know a just another version of an Aes Sedai and a warder in my opinion where you have these two individuals who come together to be something greater than what they were and Again, that is without all the like politics and yeah. and kind of those pieces that will come that will be more, you know, necessary for us to discuss further down the line, but like right now when you're looking at this idea of like Warder and Isadai or like wolves and Perrin and mm-hmm. the deep like fondness with with which Perrin will will even now in that fight like his inability to to disconnect himself from Hopper was like mm-hmm. so deep and so meaningful, and the wolves' commitment to protecting Perrin, yeah, like both ugh. in his like dreams and on the ground when they realize that he is one of them, like he is mm-hmm. another, because like Elias or Elias, however you say it, uh, says like in that initial conversation, like he's one of them. The wolves know. The wolves yeah. will tell you, right? Like the wolves yeah. make the decision. The humans yeah. don't, which I right. Which I really love because at the same time you could see this as a very imbalanced sort of relationship, but it's only because we're seeing it from the human perspective. I right. I think that's fair. I think it's interesting. Uh, I th- I like this idea about partnerships and the combinations uh, bringing more. I like that a lot. I hadn't thought of that parallel before. I also do think this is one of those moments where it's worth shouting out, like. There's a lot of indigenous uh, folklore and mythology yes. traditions around um, animal and human partnerships. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm sure that some of that influenced this relationship. Although I don't know that like you can point to a specific tradition, certainly. Because we don't know what Robert Jordan was thinking when he wrote it. But but yes, absolutely. Like that, that motif is definitely something that that has roots in indigenous traditions. Uh, and I think we're going to get to one of my sort of, I, I think this is, you know, <laughs> it's, it's hard to talk about because you have this group called the Tuathan, right? They were next on my list to talk about. <laughs> and it's frustrating when you are seeing something that is so clearly referencing what is a an outsider's perspective on other cultures mm-hmm. like it's it's sort of you see it in a lot of fantasy this like kind of trope that is you know could be tied to a lot of eastern religions and philosophy could be tied mm-hmm. to the romani could be tied mm-hmm. to like all these different sort of pieces of cultures that i question how deep of an understanding the creator had when putting them into this story because I get very frustrated. And again, it's been a long time, so I don't remember where the story goes with the Tuathuan. I said it like 17 (laughs) times to myself before we recorded and I, it's not happening. Um, You're doing a great job. (laughs) Right now, when you see the way that Perrin brings up all these points and that no one ever really answers his questions outside of 
sort of um, parables or or uh, allegories or whatever it is. But he right. asks very specific questions that are not answered, and I don't think that's fair because mm. it makes the travelers seem very um, naive. Yeah. In comparison, because we're sitting here going, well, we know that what would have happened to Perrin's point, what would have happened if he hadn't fought right. back against the Trollocs or the Fades? Right. Like, what is, what do you do? And then they don't, by not giving him a concrete answer, it lessens the impact and, and, and um, validity, it feels like, of their, of their uh, way of life. In, yeah. in a way that I, I don't love. It's, I, like, I find it very frustrating when I'm reading it. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I, the one note I have about the Tuatha An uh, that I do appreciate is that, you know, I think earlier in the story, we got references from the Two Rivers folks to, like, the baby-stealing, yes. untrustworthy tinkers, like, all of these stereotypes that have been applied to the Romney um, people in the past. And we, when we actually get to meet them, it is very clear that there's, that's just all a load of It's just not true. It's just not true. They're actually like lovely people who are very generous with strangers and like welcoming these travelers who are bringing violence with them, which is literally against their way of life. And they're like, come on in, we'll feed you. So there is that moment of like, oh, look, complexity and nuance. Like we get a little bit of it. But I 100% agree that, you know, if I don't think it would take a lot either, because you could argue it's like, oh, well, there's only so much time and space on the page. But like, it would take like a line or two. Right. Like, you know, to to bring that level of, yeah, yeah, to like deepen it and to make it feel just as valid and just as lived in and just as real as what, you know, Perrin Mm -hmm. is talking about and just be like, no, we recognize that there are moments that you have to make those choices. Right. But that's like, not what it why is. why we choose this. Right. Right. That's then, not what it yeah. is. It's right. all very, it's, it's, it's all very academic. Mm. And so they seem, it, it seems very like unrealistic from that perspective. And I, again, I recognize as a fantasy series, you need to have these like divides. Like sure. we get within the travelers sections, uh, kind of a paralleling and, and a, a comparison between them and the Isle, who they say loathe them because they have such a mm. drastically different way of life. And so, like, I recognize that we, that they have to exist for the sake of story in a certain way. Yeah. But when you're clearly, like, borrowing from so many different aspects, but not, it's not veiled thickly enough that we can't see it, then right. you're like, you have to do better, I think. Yeah, no, I would agree. I would agree. The other thing that always unnerves me about this, and this is like a total side note, is that the Tuatha, that name very specifically comes from Irish mythology oh. and is has nothing to do with the representation of the Tuatha on in these books. Interesting. Every time it unnerves me a little bit because I like have a very specific association because I've read, you know, part of my European heritage is Irish and like I've read a ton 
of Irish folklore and mythology and like fantasy based on those ideas. And so every time it just knocks me a little bit and I'm just like, you just liked the way that looked on the page and we're like, boop, here I go. I stole that, (laughs) which is fine. You're allowed to do that, but it's unnerving to me as a reader who has a different context for it. I mean, it is and it isn't, right? Like this is, I would argue that like at this point in time, and this is not then, like this was clearly written ages and ages and ages ago, but I I feel like, you know, words matter like uh, context matters and you by pulling this in are saying something about your work like whether you can't decontextualize a word that has existed before you completely you just can't do it like that's not how language works (laughs) a a good point (laughs) (laughs) I will say uh, I do what I do love about these sections is I love how uncomfortable parents. <laughs> I love parents' frequent references to Rand being good with women. Yeah. Like, oh my what? God. The, the back and forth about like Rand thinking like parents yes. would know what to do and parents thinking like Rand is always so good. Like, no, you're <laughs> both idiots. <laughs> it kills me every time. <laughs> and then like Egwene getting to like dance and have fun oh, with Aram and like. Know be like a young girl and just kind of like without like and I like that you know there are these complexities of emotion where she wants to exist in that space and Perrin kind of like pulls her back a little bit and there are these like levels of like where he recognizes that he shouldn't be putting guilt on her because that's not fair like I like a lot of the personal interaction that went on between everybody in these sections um and the the complexity of the story we get and what mm-hmm. what that could mean because clearly it's like bringing these communities all together because they all have pieces of myth and they all have a vested interest in stopping this person and this this evil from yeah. rearing its head again yeah I love that like we're starting to see all these different threads like you said I also love all of these hints we're getting about like who Elias Elias is like what is his what is his deal I love Elias story like who is this dude he's so interesting and I I also um I love that the hunt for the horn is introduced this early too I thought that did not happen for a while um but there's a moment where I guess I didn't yeah it's when Rand and Tom and Matt are in Whitebridge before shit goes south and they're like at the inn and they're t- getting news and hearing all of these different things. And they started talking about the hunt for the horn. And I, I loved seeing that come in so early because that's another, you know, piece of like, you know, European Celtic, et cetera, um, mythology that I'm a huge fan of and seeing it get pulled in there in actual, in actual context that makes sense right. um, the original was really fun. Yeah. There's just, again, so much that happens in these chapters. You know, I was, like, looking back at it again where you have Perrin. I, I feel like these chapters also are very clear about where our three boys stand. Mm-hmm. Like, Perrin, who is consistently, as Elias is pushing up against him, like, you have this gift, you have this capability, and then Perrin keeping like, no, I, like... I can't do it. Don't ask me to do it. Like Perrin is this like sort of reluctant, responsible person. Yeah. Rand is this like reluctant hero, clearly. Like he he is so 
against becoming that person and so pushes up against it but is like forced into it regardless there is no quiet acceptance as there is on on parents part well and we don't the, even know what rand's deal is yet. right we have we don't no know idea what his deal is yet. yeah and matt is like straight up just the reluctant asshole well, and can we talk about what's making him even worse right now? Oh is God, we find fucking, out that he took a fucking dagger fucking from Saturn logo. God damn it. Garbage child. He like, is a disaster. He's a disaster. And I did, I like made a note in my book where I was just like, I can't wait till he gets his shit together because he's yeah. so much better. Like he's just so much better when he stops being such a little snot. Yeah, and he's, I mean, he's already, I mean, I find him obnoxious from the jump, and now he's got this, like, dagger that's clearly messing with him, and he doesn't Mm -hmm. trust anyone, and he's constantly, like, being shifty and weird, which is making everything harder than it needs to be. Like, if he was not being such a creeper, their lives would be less stressful than they actually are, and things (laughs) would go better for them, and yet... Here he is with his like little golem dagger situation. I know he's such a little golem. <laughs> oh, Matt, you are a disaster. Um, and that that whole white bridge sequence, like where we find out more about why Tom is helping the oh, boys because of you know his nephew. I know my heart. And then the murder all shows up, and like everything goes to hell, and we lose Tom, and it's just whew. It's a lot, and and it's funny because I don't actually really love the boat chapters. I find them a little long, and I find them a little boring. Like I don't really care about the crew. I don't freaking care you don't about care about Gelb. Gelb. Come on, I don't care about Gelb. The only like I love the scene, uh, the scene where he's on the the bow, where he's like where rand is up in the rafters of the boat, and there's oh, yeah. that you know you get a lot out of it, right? You get a lot of like that that it's like page 358 in my book um through the end of the chapter I think is one of the strongest excerpts from the book because you get so much information right in those three pages ran there's clearly something wrong there's clearly Mm -hmm. something very very wrong um and then you then immediately get the dagger with Matt like that Rand jumps to the ground and sees Matt with the dagger and it's like Jordan is so good at that sort of level of unsettling the reader right like there's this moment where you're like oh this is great because rand this is an explanation of his like or not an explanation but an example of his fractured like instinct and characterization like this Mm -hmm. is not the rand we've spent 300 and odd pages with this is the rand we saw on the on the road in barilon egging those children of the light on and this is like matt with his dagger which is two characters that we know are meant to act a certain way and in the, within the scope of two pages are acting wildly out of character for what we know them to be. Right. And right. as readers, you're like, mm, my skin <laughs> is crawling just wrong. a little. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. There's, I, I was trying to think of which section stresses me out more. Matt and Tom and Rand in Whitebridge or Perrin and Egwene and Elias running from the ravens uh, over the so, hills and into so the White Cliffs. They're both so intense. Oh, my God. Talk about writing craft. That is how you do a chase scene right there. Whew. Like, it is so intense. And it goes on 
for so long and you're just on a knife edge the or at least for me i was on a knife edge the entire time i was just i did not remember that section and like horrible gory things are happening there's like animals dying in gruesome ways and they're just so stressed the fuck out and you're just right there with them like oh my god when are they are they gonna escape when are they gonna get to safety what is it gonna look like like uh, and then they huh. finally get somewhere that should be safe. We get a steading, which is going to be a thing later on. And then the fucking white cloaks show up and are the the worst. Just the, the worst. worst. The worst. It's, yeah, it's a lot. And we, you know, all of this is actually happening. And so you've got the, the tension of what is happening to these characters, like physical bodies. And then in addition to that, we're getting yeah. dreams. We're getting yeah. Rand's dreams and we're getting parents parents dreams in my opinion were actually far more scary and intense in this section like rand's dream was scary but it it felt very much in line with what rand has experienced thus far right, right. you know parents of like he has this protection he has this protection he has this protection of the wolf sitting there and clearly like is protecting him so the moment it it feels like such a loss when it gets taken and yeah. Balsamon shows up in his dream and that moment of the raven flying in and piercing his eye oh. is like so hard. It's just so intensely difficult to read. <laughs> You're like, no. It is. It's, it's a lot. And Hopper. Oh, Hopper. Oh, Hopper. It's so sad. Ugh. Yeah, it's... I, I love the wolf stuff, man. I really love it. I love it so much. I mean, this the I did I wanted to make a note of like how how much that just that piece of world building is so good. Like I love the way he names the wolves. There's that there's that paragraph where Elias is kind of like it's not it's not actually dappled, but like right. it's this and it's this and it's this sound and it's this feeling and it's this mood and I just I thought that was just such a an immediate way to introduce us to like what kind of characters these wolves are going to be yeah. between like Dapple and Hopper and Burn and like mm-hmm. they're, they all have such strong characterizations and it's like, they don't feel like pets and they don't feel like, yeah. you know, yeah. they don't feel like uh, tools. They don't feel like means to an end. Right, or lesser beings in right. some way. Like, there's no condescension in the way that, like, even Perrin, who's still new and, like, not really into this, like, mm-hmm. he doesn't think of them as, like, oh, they're, like, not smart enough to understand this or that. Like, no, it's, like, they perceive things differently, but it's 100% valid. Yes, exactly. It's it's really, really strong. And you, yeah. you after just, like, a chapter, like you care so deeply so that when that fight happens and Hopper mm-hmm. is trying to protect Perrin, it hurts so badly when it Ugh. goes wrong. And like, ugh, you just, it, it it does so much for you as a reader. It puts you in the wolf's corner. It contextualizes the, the children of the light for who they are. Yeah, you know. the fact that they smell wrong to the wolves mm-hmm. is such a great detail. It's just so good. It's so good. It's so good. But, you know, we don't we don't get too far into who the Children of the Light are. We get a, we get a sh- small taste of like how they're going to play this game with Perrin and Egwene. Right. You right. know, with the the Lord 
the Lord Commander, the Lord whatever his title is. Bornhold is his last name. And I then know that. the child um Ugh, child buyer. Buyer. Oh. Barf. Just absolute creep. Um one other thing that I wanted to talk about is there's that there's that part where Tom, Matt, and Rand go to the inn to see if they can find out what's going on and they are talking about Loghain who has been captured by the Aes Sedai, which I thought was really like just a great way to tell us what's going on and to give us some like context of these massive world events that are still happening while we're on like this like very specific path with our Mm -hmm. lead characters um and you know these like small asides like Loghain would be shown in various towns to see what happens to men who do this like and, and wanting to see the spectacle of this powerful person brought low. Like, it's just, it was really, it was just a lot that was done with just a, a few lines of dialogue that I thought was really cool. Because it, you get to see, like, how characters interact with that notion. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I thought, I, I noticed that um, also in the section where Perrin and Aguin are being interrogated by... Uh, yeah. because they're talking about you know like they're going to Camelin, uh and there's you know mention of Amador and you know like there you start to like get a sense for exactly how big this world is and how many things are going mm-hmm. on that are just they're so out of their depth uh, it's really it is it, it's really clever ways to to like start to bring the reader into this bigger picture and give them some, you know, uh, context for like, okay, where, where are we like both geographically and politically and culturally, like in all of this situation? Cause we know it's huge. Cause there's a map in the front of the book that tells us it's huge. <laughs> <laughs> and Moiraine and Lan are like, you know, talking about borderlands and whatever. And like, why are the Trollocs all the way over here? And, you know, Tom is making fun of them for thinking, that Berlin is a city, yep. like, we're being told over and over and over again, like, this is big, y'all, like, this is really, really big, and, but you can't just, like, say that, you have to give some, you know, you have to help us place ourselves in that bigness, and, and that's what he's doing. Yeah, I agree, you know, we started with, like, just, like, somebody, like, the, a false dragon, you know, with Padan Fane and the earliest chapters kind of bringing news of this legend like this like this like sounds fake but okay you know right, right. <laughs> and You're like somebody spotted bigfoot all right right, right sure. and so over the course of these 30 chapters it's gone from like this this dragon this potential dragon this false dragon rising to Logan has been captured and taken by the Aes Sedai and is now on his like sort of like march towards justice basically um which we haven't seen anything we've just been getting bits and pieces of that information from various side characters as the kids have been traveling which is just i just think it's really cool (laughs) it is this first book i it's it is so clear to me why it is the book i have reread the most like there's no I, it just is so obvious to me why I was so obsessed from the jump with yeah. this series and like why I returned to this book, I think in particular, very often. Um, and yeah, I'm really, oh, I'm like, 
excited about it and also a little nervous for the eventual bagginess that I know is coming. Um, (laughs) But I'm trying to like stay present, right? Stay in the moment, like stay here with what's going on in the book right now. And it's, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. It is, and and this is also the first section where we get to see sort of um, a forced non-linear, a little bit of a non-linear thing happening, we think, uh, based on how the, the perspectives are shown to us, you know, because you have Nineveh and Moiraine showing up to Whitebridge and Land showing up to Whitebridge just after what went down right. with rand and matt and tom uh, with Mm -hmm. all of that and and seeing the sort of aftermath from new perspectives um we don't know when i say nonlinear, i mean we do we literally don't know when things are happening concurrently when like if they're happening in sequence like we don't know timing wise how this is all working well i right except for when we have those kinds of overlap exactly right but like we were perrin and Egwene, like they're off totally elsewhere we have no idea what the timing is on that i always assume that it's happening happening concurrently unless i'm told otherwise as a mm-hmm. reader um but yeah you're right it's true there are not we're there lacking really clues signposts. Yeah. yeah like he, he like jordan doesn't really give us he doesn't give us the information we we do have to make assumptions about what's going on well there is that moment about well other than when moiraine is like i can feel this person or like if I get they're... close enough to them, I'll know where they are. Yes, yes. She's like, oh, they're moving northwards or whatever. Yeah. So we're going to go and get these boys because they're closer. So we get a little bit. We get a we little, little bit, bit of it. Um, but yeah, not not a whole ton. Not a whole ton. Oh, my gosh. I just feel like <laughs> feel like we've run an emotional marathon in these chapters. Like it's, so, it's like so much happens. so stressful and it's so intense and there's so many interesting bits and pieces and... Oh man, we didn't even talk about like I know we talked about that the the aisle sort of from like a like a this perspective of them as like a character like in in terms of them up against what the travelers are, but in terms of what that prophecy the fear of that prophecy and what that prophecy could mean and that there are parts of the prophecy that like parent doesn't understand and they or the even the travelers don't understand right, right which then leads to that very unsettling um thing that elias says as as they're leaving when they're leaving the travelers and he he's you know he says the standard like peace be on you always and on all the people and then he hesitates and he adds i will find the song or another will find the song and the song will be sung this year or in the year to come as it once was so shall it be again world without end and everyone's like, <laughs> I just love those like little moments of showing us that like like seeding this notion of like the the massive impact that's coming. Right, right. There's all of these different prophecies getting thrown around. Yeah. There's all of these. Things are on the move in ways that they've never happened before. Like men are talking to wolves again, which oh, hasn't happened so in a while. Like, yeah, there's all of these. There's all of these things in motion. Everything is in motion. Is there is there anything else? I feel like there's just so much. There's so much. I mean, those were the highlights for me, certainly. Um 
<laughs> yeah, same. My notes are just full of like, oh no. <laughs> oh, it's so funny. My notes are like, LOL, OTP. <laughs> <laughs> that right there is us in a nutshell. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so oh man. Oh goodness. Yeah, no, aside from me being pretend. <laughs> Me being pedantic about the Tuatha um, and like, you know, my own nose. I think we hit, I think we hit most of my stuff. Yeah, no, I think that that does it. So. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll wrap it up there. Uh, keep an eye out for future episodes on the second and fourth Wednesday of every month. Next time we're going to talk about chapters 31 to 40 of the eye of the world. And if you want to continue the conversation on social media in various places, um, you can use the hashtag Tar or bust. And of course, thank you to our Patreon supporters. We really appreciate you. Um, Nicholas E, Michelle S, Michelle D, Danae, Destination Toast, Kat, Jericho, Saber Bouquet, Thomas, Elizabeth, Emily, Evans, Ola, Yulia, Matthew, and Brian. And speaking of Brian's, a big thank you goes out to Brian Dunn, our fellow Wheel of Time fan and musician who created the amazing intro and outro tracks for this podcast. And you can find more of his work at BrianDunnMusic.net, and that is Brian with a Y and Dunn with two N's. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave a review and or rating on the podcast platform of your choice. It helps other people find the show, and we really appreciate it. Oh, and also, if you would like to support us on Patreon, it is patreon.com slash or bust. We also do, like, blog posts and updates, you know. That's kind of where our home base is because I don't think either one of us wanted to start another Twitter account. <laughs> Hard no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you can find me on Twitter and um, Tumblr these days where I'm obsessing over Supernatural. Uh, oh, at, <laughs> at Run With Skizzers. That's S-K-I-Z-Z-E-R-S. <laughs> I'm mostly on Instagram right now uh, at I am Jen I-R-L. That's I-A-M-J-E-N-N-I-R-L. And I'm also podcasting uh, for Book Riot on the SFF Yeah Show and Get Booked. Uh, so you, if you want to listen more to my ramblings, you can do that there. Uh, yeah, I should mention Daisy Geek Girls because we just had an episode drop about The Mandalorian, the latest chapter, which was a pretty big deal um so you can check that out twitter.com slash stacy geek girls is probably the best way to find it but we're on every platform um and i think that is probably it for real and as usual we did not prepare a sign off (laughs) good job us we'll check you guys later